I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. So in this uh, session, we're going to do some really deep diving into our relationship with ourself. Um, and then by extension, that'll impact our relationship with others. So one of the things that often we come into recovery with is this belief that somehow we're really disconnected from ourselves. And in fact, we have become disconnected, but that doesn't mean that our real self has gone anywhere or that somehow we're damaged and broken. We just need to reestablish the connection. It's, it's not simple and yet it is simple and it just requires work and effort and intention. Um, so one thing that we're going to begin with is called the wellness wheel. And you're going to look at this twice. The first time you come to it right below this video, it's just going to be kind of a superficial glance. And you'll look at all the categories of your life and then rate them kind of on the spokes of the wheel. Now, if you were a 10 out of 10 in everything, you'd have a perfect circle. But in this case, you're probably going to have a flat. But what that flat looks like is going to be different. You know, there are unmet needs that you have that uh, you just need to become aware of. And it's amazing when we do begin to meet our needs in one area, how that satisfies us and that sense of satisfaction and capability bleeds into other areas of our life. And this is what I would refer to as the holistic as the holistic approach. You know, what is what is the holistic approach? It's where we view the person from all angles and all aspects of their life. And that wellness must include attention to every corner. So, you know, a lot of times we go to a doctor and we have a headache and we're given perhaps headache medicine or migraine medicine or something like that. And that's a very deconstructionist point of view. You go to the doctor because you have pain in your head. You're, giving, you're given something to correct the pain in the head, maybe. And then you're, you're told to move on. No questions are asked about what's causing the pain in your head. And it could be a wide variety of things and multiple things. It could be that you're not getting enough sleep or that you've got some serious um, anger issues in a relationship or you resent your job or you're feeling overwhelmed with your domestic duties. I mean, there are so many factors that boil into why somebody's head might hurt. And so what the holistic approach does is it really looks at all areas of your life and it shows you where 
um, at least the wellness wheel, will show you where perhaps you're a little bit deficit. And what happens as you begin to correct deficits in one area is other areas start functioning better. And so the next um, exercise that you're going to do is you're going to look at unmet needs and you're going to try to decipher where you are running a deficit. And we look at um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs in that exercise. And I think you've probably all heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's basic high school psychology, but it just states that, you know, our base needs, our survival needs must be met before we can move into higher order needs such as emotions and learning and growth and self-actualization. And so this, what this translates to is paying attention to the small things. You know, if you're not getting enough sleep, then you're not really going to be able to grow and learn and exceed and excel in life. And if you're not getting enough nutrition, you know, sleep and nutrition are the cornerstone for good health. Even, you know, before I started this video, I had to go to the bathroom really bad. And I almost was like, you know, oh, I, I want to get the video done. I can't think if I have to pee. So paying attention to your basic needs and meeting those and then beginning to tune in to where you might not be feeling fulfilled in other areas of your life. Um, you know, it's it's could be a lack of creativity. It could be a lack of financial um, control and you know, feeling like there's enough money for things. And it could be that you feel uneducated in your job and you wish you could go back to school. So you're gonna look at all those areas um, and as you begin to identify and then prioritize those needs, you know, you may find that if you correct your finances, then suddenly, you know, a lot of other problems kind of just disappear because that stress that's always running in the background has been corrected. So you're going to start with the wheel of life, and then at the very end, after you do all the other exercises, you're going to revisit the wheel of life after you've kind of done all this other reflection, and then you're going to be given an opportunity to set some goals, and I go into SMART goals. Um, just a quick explanation of SMART goals. Um, SMART goals stands for um, specific measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. So there's a difference between saying, I want to lose weight. That's not really a goal. Um, that might be a side effect of your goal, such as I have a workout scheduled for 2 p.m., you know, things that you know you can accomplish. So you don't want to set goals that, you know, I want to be a millionaire. Well, yeah, so, so does everybody. Um, I'm going to take a financial class or I'm going to start saving or I'm going to create a side hustle or I'm going to get more education. Those are actual goals. So when you revisit the uh, circle of life or the life wheel or whatever I call it, um, the second time is when you'll you'll create some takeaway action plans. But before that, you'll go into your unmet needs. And uh, as I said, we go into Maslow's hierarchy of needs so you can really kind of understand uh, the basics. And then, um, you know, with unmet needs, in active addiction, we've been really neglectful of ourselves. And sobriety is a commitment 
to stop living in deprivation, to stop accepting the shitty consolation prize that, you know, we've all been led to believe that alcohol is relaxing, it's connecting, it'll improve our personalities, it'll improve our friendships, it'll improve everything. And it's just not that. And so we've been operating on that belief and experiencing consequences that say, yeah, no, that's that's bullshit. And we've basically traded our integrity um, and our commitment to ourselves for the next drink. And so while that might feel bad, that time is over. And sobriety is a re-renewed commitment to yourself that you're not going to settle for less, not from anybody else and not from yourself. You're not going to put up with unmet needs anymore. You're going to pay attention to yourself. And then as you do that, you just find that when your needs are met, you can grow. Um, so, oh, let's see. So recognizing that alcohol is a shitty consolation prize and that we're not going to settle for that anymore and that we're not going to deny ourselves what we need and give ourselves treats and rewards that are actually punishments and then wonder why we're feeling bad, Those the, that behavior is all in the past. So um, we're going to start with a quick brainstorm in the unmet needs exercise of, you know, what needs do you, did you think that alcohol was providing for? You know, what did you think you were satisfying? And it can be both that alcohol was giving you something, but then it could also be something that you were avoiding. You know, maybe you were avoiding discomfort in your relationship or you were avoiding taking the next goal. You know, I, I talked to a lot of clients who have so much potential and so much on fire passion for certain things. And alcohol has been holding them back because ultimately, if they remove the obstacle that has been obstacle, that kind of creates some fear and trepidation because now they have the ability and the bandwidth to do what they said that they could do. And now there's no more excuses and it's go time. Except when you really come at this from a place of compassion and love, it's it's not necessarily go time. It's it's just completely different. We have this perception that we need to be zero to a hundred and neglect our own needs, and therefore we start believing we can't handle, you know, running at top speed. And so early recovery, we're learning how to identify our needs, meet our needs, rinse and repeat. And then slowly you're able to expand what you're what needs you're able to take care of. And then pretty soon you're not focused on the navel gazing and going potty and eating your food. Now you're looking at your career. Now you're looking at your relationships. You're looking at your hobbies and your passions and you're just naturally growing. So this belief that somehow that's going to be scary or require more of you than you have, it's just not true. So um, the other thing with the unmet needs is I give you a needs list with a bunch of words because, you know, we kind of get used to saying the same three or four words, you know, I need connection or I feel lonely. Looking at more words can really help you dig in and go deeper. Um, then we're going to move into codependency and boundaries. And codependency is, I am a woo, huge codependent, but I'd like to relanguage that. I'm not a codependent. I 
my default has always been codependent behaviors. And now I'm becoming aware of them and learning how to set appropriate boundaries. Do you see what I did there? Even saying I'm a codependent, using that language is limiting. And our ears are listening to what our mouths say. So anytime you catch yourself reinforcing an old belief or an old behavior and bringing that into the present, correct your language. It's really a powerful exercise because it, it gets you into the habit of interrupting your thoughts and fact-checking them. And it's just not true that I'm codependent. I have made amazing boundaries in my relationship or amazing progress and set awesome boundaries in my relationship with my partner, my relationship with my kids. It's just powerful. And what I'm noticing is the more boundaries I put in, the the more I'm, I respect myself and nobody's mad about it. Every, you know, I have friends that have great boundaries and I have friends that don't, that kind of co-dependent with me. You know what? I kind of respect the friends with the boundaries even more. Um, I don't know. It just, I perceive more strength and I perceive more wisdom. Um, and, and that's how I'm now perceiving myself as well. Um, so codependency is, is when the way we feel we attach that and we we let that depend on the way someone else feels or things that they say and so what this looks like for me a really simple example is um you know i say to my husband a few weeks ago we were at our lake home i'm going home from the lake and it was eight o'clock on a Sunday night. I had gotten up at seven, done a bunch of work. He'd gotten home late because of his call and slept half the day he needed to and so got a later start. But at eight o'clock at night, I was done, check please. And I said to him, I'm going home. And he said, but all the work isn't done. Now in the past, my codependent self, zero to 60 hit the roof because I would have felt defensive. I've been up since seven o'clock and not all this work needs to be done and you should go home and bleh, like attaching the way I feel to something he said that was really basically neutral. Now with my new boundaries and my new relationship with myself, I recognize that that statement, there's still work that needs to be done, made me uncomfortable, it made me feel like, oh, so I guess maybe I'm cutting out early, like I'm lazy, uh, I don't contribute. And then I thought, nope, none of those things are true. So I don't even need to react here. Um, so that's the difference with codependency. The other way I could have reacted would have gotten my husband pissed off at me. We might've been yelling and screaming, hell, we could have fought about that for multiple weeks. And all he said was, there's still work that needs to be done. And yet I could have taken that and completely derailed everything. Um, so I didn't. And I'm super proud of myself. And every time we get into those situations where I realize that, you know, I'm taking something neutral and attaching meaning to it that isn't there. And it doesn't matter if it's there. You know, if he would have been upset with me that I was leaving because it's eight o'clock on a Sunday night and there's still work to be done, then he can see his coach. He can see his therapist. He can write in his journal. Like, you know, one saying that we often hear in 12-step uh, programs and other recovery programs is just clean up your side of the street. And what that means to me is I recognized I was uncomfortable in that moment. 
I made sure I was behaving respectfully and appropriately and I was proud of what I was doing and I was meeting my own needs and then let all the pieces fall where they may. And that goes back to our mindset of be authentic and don't be attached to the results and be willing to be uncomfortable. So in that situation, that is what I did. And it worked out so much better. There was no fight. He stayed until he was satisfied with the work that was done. And then the next weekend, whatever wasn't done was left. So it's really powerful to understand how you're, you're projecting the crap that's inside your head and you're putting all this meaning into what really is just a neutral exchange. Now there are patterns where you've learned what your partner's thinking and your partner's learned what you're thinking or whatever relationship you're talking about, whether it would be children or parents, you know, you've learned how to push each other's buttons. But when you begin to recognize your own codependent habits, you basically just stop doing that. Um, and then, you know, if, if you're in a healthy relationship or you want to be in a healthy relationship, communicating that you're changing the rules is really powerful. You know, giving people time to adjust and saying, you know, I recognize this is an unhealthy pattern of behavior. I take full responsibility for my part. And this is how I'm going to behave differently in the future. And when I set the boundary that I'm going home at eight o'clock, I didn't ask for him to understand that or for him to approve that, or I didn't engage in that emotional warfare where I need him to be okay so I can be okay so he can be okay. It's just, it's exhausting. So cleaning up your side of the street and identifying your own codependent behaviors is really, really powerful and ultimately allows you to reconnect with yourself. Because the lines aren't blurred anymore. The lines on your identity and someone else's identity, you know, that we that creates the function in, in any given relationship, you separate that out. And that is so important for reconnecting with yourself and your needs. So you're going to read a little bit about codependency and then, you know, doing the self-care that comes with taking responsibility for your own needs. Um, you know, so what that looks like for me in my marriage is that I take responsibility for the fact that I feel lonely a lot of times. My husband's gone a lot. Um, so before I might use passive aggressive language to make him feel bad because he's lonely or I would self-destruct because I was lonely. Like, well, he's not home anyway. Nobody cares about me. I'll just pour 87 drinks and I'm sure that's going to go well. Um, self-care is really hard work. There's a difference and we confuse self-care with self-indulgence. Self-indulgence is not self-care. It's instant gratification. It's you know, getting away with something in the short term that there's going to be a negative consequence in the long term. You know, sugar is self-indulgent. It is not self-care. Sugar is not a treat. And so learning how to take care of ourselves, um, for me, I always said, it's kind of like babysitting a two-year-old with a driver's license, a credit card, and a penchant for top shelf vodka. That is what taking care of yourself like is, is like. And often those urges that we get they're very childish. You know, you've been around a two-year-old who just wants the sucker. That's a very temper tantrum problem that you, you don't want to have to deal with. So it's easier to give the two-year-old a sucker. But having respect for yourself 
um, or in that case, the two-year-old, where the two-year-old actually needs to finish his vegetables and take a nap. And it's going to be painful on the front end, but much better when he wakes up from the nap than it is to give him the sucker and let him keep running around and then wonder why it's a shit show later in the evening. And taking care of ourselves is the same way. Um, we do have an inner child. And I don't do a lot of that frou-frou inner parent or inner child reparenting, but I can use that language because it does make a lot of sense. We've got some very childish needs inside that are the result of unmet needs in our childhood. You know, those little T traumas. I'm not talking about the big T traumas, although those can apply. But in this context, I'm just saying the little things that the way our parents were with us, you know, there's no right way to be. No matter what you do, you're screwing your kids up. You know what I mean? It's like you're going to give them too much love. They're not going to get enough. They're an only child. There's too many siblings. I mean, whatever. We all take away certain messages from our childhood and internalize them negatively. And so there is is an inner child in there that's kind of frozen with that development that, you know, you have to pay attention to. And, you know, what do you need right now? Um, do you need to cry? Do you need to scream? Like, how can we do that in a healthy way? How can I make space and how can I make time for whatever it is you need? And then the sooner and the more often you meet the needs of that inner two-year-old, the quicker the inner two-year-old grows up. So, you know, and it's just in certain contexts. I don't agree with a lot of the 12-step programs that believe and preach that, you know, we stop developing from the moment we drink, start drinking. No, we don't. You know, I'm a 47-year-old woman. I quit drinking, um, you know, in my 40s. I did not stop drinking and show up as an 18-year-old. I have a lot of emotional intelligence. But probably, not probably, for sure, in certain contexts, you know, there was a little glimpse of crazy in there that all I had to do was pay attention, decide what the underlying need is, fix my own behavior, move on with my life. It's not, it's not crazy. So I have you um, go through your close relationships and look at codependent attachments. I create a whole list and I really encourage you to take your time, you know, what resonates with you. Um, and then we get into, okay, then we get into boundaries. And so once you identify your codependent, codependent attachments and behaviors, then the way you correct them is to set boundaries. And wow, boundary work is amazing. And because you will feel so much better because you will begin acting from a place of integrity. You'll stop agreeing to things that you don't agree with. You'll stop saying yes, just because that's easier than saying no. You'll stop entertaining and placating. And that doesn't mean that you're shutting people off. It's really a subtle shift within you where you just begin to act from a place of integrity because you value your own needs as much as everybody else's. Not more, not less. It doesn't make you selfish and narcissistic. It simply makes you a person worthy of the same respect that everybody else does. And you know, for me, boundary work did an amazing job. At one point when I first quit drinking, um, I had some pretty negative beliefs about my husband. I was projecting all my own shit onto him. And it's just amazing what reconnecting with myself 
has done to heal my marriage. We've not gone to more therapy or spent a lot of time reflecting. I just correct my own codependent behavior, one context and one opportunity at a time. And he just kind of responds. I mean, we all respect people with healthy boundaries, healthy self-esteem. We just do. And so part of me setting boundaries, you know, my goal wasn't to fix my marriage. In fact, my goal, to be quite honest, was to get a divorce. Um, but I wasn't attached to either result, to fixing or fixing the marriage or dissolving the marriage and moving on. I wasn't attached to that. I was attached to fixing me and honoring what I think and what I need. And at one point, you know, before I started, before I got sober, I thought my husband was a narcissist. And really it was, I was projecting all of my unmet needs onto him. He was just doing what I maybe allowed him to do or didn't ask for him to do. You know, at one point, um, I think it was right after I quit drinking, I was crying at him and saying that you don't even know what my needs are. You don't give a shit about my needs. You don't care about me. And he responded like I, I, I caught him at a good time. And he like went and got a piece of paper and this and put his glasses on. And he said, OK, I, I hear you and I want to know what needs you have that I can meet. Yeah, well, um, I couldn't answer that question. I had no idea what to ask. Here he was opening his heart, his checkbook, whatever. You need a cleaning lady. You need us to order dinner. You need me to take go to yoga with you. Like, what is it that you want me to do? Couldn't answer the question. Could not answer the question. Um, and so that really informed me. That was probably week two or three of my sobriety. And that really informed me that I had so much work to do uh, to reconnect with myself. You know, again, fixing my relationships, you know, the, the that's a side effect of doing the work where we're really connecting with ourselves and in our own opinions and our own needs. Um, so at the end of codependency and boundaries worksheet, we get into, uh, communication styles. And so we'll go through passive and aggressive and our, all of our favorite passive aggressive, and then contrast those with assertive communication and how to use assertive communications to, uh, define your boundaries and to communicate the rules as they change in your home and in your heart and in your relationships. And, you know, I just go on to remind you, just remember, and we talked about this in other modules, that the way you feel is always a product of your thoughts, never somebody else's behavior. And that is the most frustrating and also liberating awareness that you can get. Going back to my silly example of being at the lake, I thought, you know, previously when he said, but the, the work isn't all done, I would have said that those words made me feel like I was lazy and that I hadn't done enough and put me on the defensive. And no, it was the thoughts in my own head that were making that. His words were just a neutral statement of fact. All the work is not done. So learning how to take responsibility for my own feelings, um, whoo, 
allows me to process them and completely detach from whatever he's saying or doing. Doesn't matter. It's not a reflection on me. I know what's in me. So that's the most powerful thing. Then we go into core beliefs and I introduce um, what a lot of this program is based on is, is the concept of positive psychology. Positive psychology is a new and emerging field. You know, it's been around since 50s and 60s, but it really didn't get the name, I think, positive psychology really until the turn of the century. And it's different from traditional psychology, you know, Freud and Pavlov and all those old timers who are really interested in behaviors and ultimately what causes those behaviors, you know, the Freudian complex or the Freudian slip, you know, they all are focused on mental and emotional disorders and then what causes those disorders. And there is a, a very good place in in terms of understanding why you are a certain way or what's causing something to be but ultimately that approach traditional psychology doesn't create a lot of solutions because you can understand all you want it still doesn't lead to change and so what my coaching training does and a lot of newer um, therapy therapeutic modalities do is to use positive psychology and positive psychology is based on that what you pay attention to grows and what you neglect dies and that does not just apply to houseplants you know so if you go to a therapist and you spend multiple hours every week looking back into the past and looking at your you know nuclear family and your parental relationships and all of those things well you're paying a lot of attention to that now that is a neutral thing but you're not spending that time and energy looking forward and i talked about this some when i described what coaching is um but the way it works here is you know we have these core beliefs about ourselves that again little t traumas often some big t traumas but little t traumas where we got the belief in our head that we're not worthy we're not good enough um, we're not capable, we're not smart, you know, all of those things. And we have these core beliefs. And instead of looking and trying to identify what those are and go back to the source, you know, and we do some of that origin work in our other sessions. So it all comes together. But in this exercise, what I do is I present you with some new core beliefs that you're just going to try on like a new pair of shoes or and see how they fit. And they may feel really uncomfortable, but I have you do some playing around with projecting, you know, how would this belief change your behaviors uh, when it comes to your self-esteem, when it comes to your recovery, and when it comes to your relationships. So you're going to try on some new beliefs. And again, the more you pay attention to those beliefs and you look for ways they could be true and you experiment with them and you get positive results back that, oh, you know, when I feel like I'm valuable and I behave like I'm valuable, oh, I feel like I'm valuable. It's a cycle that keeps going. So there's a lot of deep diving in this particular module, and I encourage you to take your time. I encourage you to bring things that you find 
to our um, group sessions and share or discuss, you know, if there's some, something, some concept that you want to bat around to make sense of, then, you know, using our group calls will be really beneficial. Or we can get on a call one-on-one -on -one, um, and I can help you kind of work through some of that. But um, anyway, just to sum it all up, you know, this is where we're going to look at a holistic approach to all factors of your life and see where maybe you have a flat tire in your life. And then we're going to look at um, your unmet needs, your uh, codependent behaviors, how to set boundaries, and uh, then your core beliefs and what those would look like if they were different. And then we're going to circle all the way back to the life wheel. And then you're going to maybe set some goals, um, some smart goals that you can begin to move forward. So I look forward to knocking all this around with you and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to rate and review the show so that other people can find it. I really appreciate it. And check out the show notes for any resources I've mentioned, including links to follow me on Instagram and join my private Facebook group where I connect with my tribe every day. I love it in there and we have so much fun. And finally, if you're ready to redefine sobriety so that you can feel excited about quitting drinking, follow the link to my 10 Days to Spontaneous Sobriety course, where I will help you eliminate, eradicate, obliterate, cancel your desire to drink. Because looking and feeling your best is addictive too. I'll see you soon.